Thank you for tuning in. And we have another good one today. This time with my friend, Stuart Haney, who's also been there and still doing lots here in AEC. In this episode, we talk process and specifically how to improve our business operations and leadership success through the use of systems, either customized or off the shelf, which more and more of the firms that I work with and or come across are starting to employ. And this is important for a couple of reasons. First, there's lots of room for leadership and leadership team improvement and optimization out there. I have lived it myself in practice and see it throughout our profession. And second, there's a massive need to more systematically understand more about what we do and why we do it from both a business and production perspective, especially now, with so much more being demanded from leadership and so much change from technology already underway. And so without any further delay, let's learn more about getting more done and more done well by design. Welcome to AEC Leadership Today, the podcast designed exclusively for engineering, architecture, and construction industry leaders who want to stay relevant and effective. The show takes on the most pressing issues facing the AEC industry and was created to help you and your firm grow and prosper in the 21st century. The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with Stuart Haney, recent founder of AEC Ops LLC, and we'll be talking a lot about processes and systems, leadership and management, alignment, and getting stuff done. Welcome to the podcast, Stu. Hey, Pete. That's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. All right. Well, thank you for being here. And I know um, it's been great to get to know you um, over the past year plus, and I know you have a long history in and around AEC. So can we begin uh, with you sharing a little bit about you, your career, your time at Wendell Companies as president and CEO, and before that, COO, and also what brought you to where you are now as um, you know doing management consulting and in and around AEC? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, so, you know, I'm uh, I'm an engineer by training. I have two degrees there, architect or excuse me, uh, engineering science and then electrical engineering. Um, you know, I started my career doing design, working in engineering, and as an electrical engineer, you can work in pretty much every market. So I started off in industry, and then I did some uh, municipal, commercial, institutional, and educational. So pretty much worked in every market except for residential. Um, I'm a lifelong learner uh, on a quest to be the best version of myself as I can be, and that that's kind of reflected in all the roles that I've that I've had in my career. Um, I'm a PE in a couple of states, and uh, I have also my project management professionals certification. So I, one point in my career, uh, project management was the focus and I got very into it and uh, leaned in hard and, and got certified in project management. Um, in my career process, I got a chance to do a lot of different uh, things that had started off kind of a design then I got into project management group leadership uh, then office leadership, I got to start up a new uh, MEP office uh, for one company. I did a turnaround in another company, and uh, I spent about 20 years at Wendell, um, kind of running through a number of positions that included uh, team leader, then uh, ops manager, then chief operating officer, and ultimately, um, the result of a three-year succession process was selected to become the CEO in, in uh, 2013, um, with no small challenge there, but uh, handling an ownership transition of about 75% of the, the ownership of the company had to be turned over in, in you know, a few years' time. Uh, so I looked at my CEO time as 
being a servant leader and not as like the end game of, of my career, I, I kind of had the idea that that would not be the role I would retire from. Um, and I had been the CEO for nearly 10 years, uh, you know, going into last year in 2022 and felt like it was time for, for a transition. Um, you know, in that time as CEO, I was able to grow the company, double it in size, both in people and revenue, uh, navigated the COVID crisis and was able to kind of keep the company at best places to work uh, while doing that. So I felt good about my my service, um, but didn't want to kind of continue with that same responsibility. Uh, I wouldn't say I was burned out, just, uh, just ready for the next thing. Uh, I've been a coach uh, most of my life, whether it be sports or mentoring people in, in business and consulting just felt like the next right step for me. And so here I am with, uh, with my fledgling consulting practice. Well, well, great. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I know we're going to get into talking about business operation systems and, um, but I'd like to first talk about sort of what I call like production operating systems to give a broader context. And I know, you know, when I came into the, the the profession 30 plus years ago, there was talk of ISO and then TQM. And so there was a lot of talk about it for a while. And we don't really hear about it that much, but I know you have experience with that. And so to set a broad context of processes and systems, can you share a little bit about both ISO and TQM and your experience with them and, and almost like specifically kind of lean into how applicable they are or have been within sort of the, the AE, AEC profession? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a great question and a good place to start. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think in the AEC, we don't talk a lot about ISO. Matter of fact, I think a lot of people don't know what ISO is, you know, the International Standards Organization, ISO 9001 being a quality standard. Um, I mentioned earlier that I started my profession in industry and ISO was really big in, in the industrial world, uh, automaking and steel making, uh, being ISO certified as a quality standard uh, meant a lot. And so I got to see it from that perspective. Uh, also, my wife actually worked for a manufacturer, 3M, and I kind of got the second uh, chair view or passenger view of her trying to get um, you know, a manufacturer ISO certified. And I got to see a lot of what kind of was good and bad about the systems when it came to that. Um, and they are they are good for getting uh, a common understanding of what your, what your actual process is. Um, if you think about people processing tools, process tends to get, you know, overlooked or avoided, maybe, um, especially in our AEC world. But um, you know, if you can define your process, you have a chance to better a better chance to improve it. Uh, so I kind of saw these these clumsy attempts, and and TQM at Wendell in the '90s, we we uh, implemented TQM, and with really good intentions to improve quality and also maybe the work experience because if we had this better understanding of what we were doing and why um, it, it would help people, you know, know better what their job was and feel better about doing it. Uh, but I, I think they largely failed in the AEC world, what I saw, um, not in small part because architects and engineers can be our own worst enemy. And we wanted like defining process as an art form and it's really easy to go too far. Uh, and I saw it go too far quite a bit. Um, where you get so prescriptive in the process and so detailed that they became voluminous and nobody wanted to follow them. But a little later in my career, I, I was actually in an AE firm that got ISO certified. Um, and that firm had a big DOT client that wanted ISO certification. So that was the driver. And they did it incredibly well. So they kept the processes at the right level and as a project manager in that organization at the time, ISO was great for me because it gave me um, kind of a lever or leverage over my team to get certain things done that should be done anyways uh, as part of project delivery, but can be a little difficult to get people to do. Um, and with ISO and that certification hanging over you, that, that kind of 
external verification uh, really did help get compliance. So I, I think, you know, big potential benefits for a system like that is, you know, clarity of process and uh, some accountability towards actually executing that process. So I'm curious, what were the things looking back that because of ISO, you were able to get people to do that? Otherwise, you're like, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm whatever. I mean, what, what, what were those things that, hey, if we're not going to get, if we're not going to do these, we can't get certified, we lose it. What were the things that were resisted that now were sort of a forcing function to have happen? Yeah, for sure. Um, so um, project plans, for starters. I mean, we all talk about project plans. Every consultant out there is talking about Every project needs a plan. Uh, plan doesn't have to be a work of art, but it you know it needs to define the basic uh, expectations of the project and schedule. And we struggle to get project plans. And I actually see that with some of my clients today, where they just it's basic one-on-one business project management. Have a project plan, and they can't get them from their teams, or they can't keep them up to date. Which is the other thing that um, they kind of really helped with. And then. You know, depending on the rigor in which your company does calculations and and documentation of uh, scope changes, things like that, um, ISO was a great tool to kind of uh, um, get better compliance when it came to scope management and uh, and documentation of of uh, key decisions. Right. Thank you. And it's it's interesting. You kind of go back and. You know, we, a lot of times we struggle with, uh, you know, where we design to the budget, we have so many hours and we're figuring out as we go. And meanwhile, firms have made this shift to outputs and outcomes and really what are we trying to achieve and achieve it better, faster and in lump sum format. So we're actually more profitable by doing something better, faster. And if we don't have a plan, there's zero chance we're going to be able to go where the best firms are, are already now. But the answer is actually, well, let's go back to basic project planning and management and then yeah. unleash some of our you know, great expertise. So how do you, I mean, you mentioned um, obviously the, the, an art form, don't going too far, but then if we do dig into our processes um, and it is this chance you mentioned to, um, if, if we know what we're doing, we have a chance to improve and obviously a chance to be more efficient and there's this sort of the spectrum of, you know, efficiency on one end and innovation on the other. And if we're too efficient, well, if we're, if we're driving for efficiency, we're not going to be able to innovate. And if we're driving to innovation all the time, everything's bespoke, we're reinventing the wheel, we're not going to be efficient. And there's this fine line. How do you think about, as it relates to processes and systems and understanding what we do and maybe trying to be as efficient as possible so that maybe we can figure out what to innovate in? But how do you think about that? spectrum and, and leveraging a system, not just to be more efficient, but to also innovate? Yeah, uh, a great question and really relevant uh, today, I think, because I, I hear and I've heard a lot in my career, the argument where it pits efficiency against innovation, right? So if we're focused on continuous improvement, which is ISO and programs like that are continuous improvement based programs and, and defining your processes, um, then then all of a sudden you're disqualified and you can't innovate. Um, and I, because you, to innovate, you have to break the mold. You have to throw away process. You have to kind of completely reinvent. And uh, while I understand kind of both of those positions and arguments, to me, it's not an either or. Uh, it's always been, uh, I wanted both. And um, you may be familiar or not with the uh, British cycling team story. Uh, it's a theory of marginal gains, which uh, is a continuous improvement concept or an efficiency concept. And the theory there was if we get 1% better at a lot of things over time, the whole system is going to be much, much better. And the British racing team went from 100 years of mediocrity to the point where certain uh, bike manufacturers would not sell them or give them a bike because they didn't want to be associated with the British racing team. That's how bad their reputation was. And then this guy, uh, Dave Brailsford takes over and he implements this uh, theory of marginal gains and getting 1% better. And they become dominant in the sport and ultimately, you know, win three straight uh, Tour de France's and, 
uh, and everyone credits that success with these marginal gains. Um, so I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of getting a little bit better every day. But then you look at someone like Apple uh, who says, oh, throw away the, the current model and let's just kind of completely take a different approach to it and innovate. Uh, and you can see the success that, that can come from that mindset as well. So again, I, I kind of like both. I like to have the processes defined. I like to have continuous improvement ongoing all the time. And then I like to have a certain amount of organizational capacity uh, go into innovating. Um, I'm big on, uh, you know, pilot projects and, and you know, doing one-off things just to see what is possible. Um, in the book, Great by Choice, Jim Collins talks about um, uh, back in the tall ship days when they would be sailing around and, and, you know, potentially fighting and shooting cannonballs. We have a finite amount of powder and you have a finite amount of lead. Right. So if you're going to find the range to your target, don't do that with cannonballs and large amounts of powder. Fire bullets, small amounts of powder, a bullet, a failure is not as big an impact on your company or your system. So fire bullets before cannonballs. And I like to take that same approach to innovation into what we do. We don't have like pharmaceutical company or oil company, you know, cash and margins to draw on when it comes to innovation. We've got to We've got to really mind that powder. Um, so I like pilot projects. I like uh, taking teams and giving them a project, maybe call it R&D, to, to, to go off and try and innovate and then take those lessons and bring them back to the organization. Sometimes that can be not incremental, right? If you've done something pilot and you found like, ah, you know, uh, BIM is the answer. That's the way we're going to go. Uh, CAD goes out and BIM comes in and that's a pretty big thing, but you didn't do it without testing it small first. Great. Well, th thank you for that. I do want to switch and, and talk about, you know, something that I know you have experience in too. And so that's kind of the, again, I'll call it the, the production operating systems. I, I want to talk about business operating systems. Um, and I know that there's, there's a lot and it's sort of kind of be business type agnostic, um, tools and there's different ones out there, you know, um, geared towards different, um, size companies, maybe smaller, midsize, but like the EOS, you know, pinnacle, OKR framework and all that stuff. Can you share a little bit about like a business operating system? Um, you know, your experience with them, who they're for, what they, you know, what, what role and function they have and in, in particular in AEC. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm, uh, you may have heard me say this before, but the listeners maybe less so. Uh, I was when I became CEO, I was enrolled in a group called Vistage, which is um, a CEO support group. I'll call it. I used to affectionately call it Alcoholics Anonymous for CEOs, but basically, you bring CEOs from all different businesses together, and they would be a support group for each other. And in that group, I did learn that a lot of things when it comes to running a business are agnostic. They don't, you know. They're, they're not, AEC is not so unique that you can't learn from somebody in another business. And uh, I also got exposed to EOS in that venue with the entrepreneurial operating system, which is uh, detailed in the book Traction by Gino Wickman. Um, and that is not aimed at AEC. It's just generically aimed at growing businesses uh, between 20 and 200 people, let's say. Um, <clears throat> so you know, an operating system of a business is just like an operating system software wise it sets the rules, the ground rules for how we play and how we do what we do in the business. They, they tend to align people and systems with common language. Um, and, and they give us kind of a, a checklist of, um, you know, things to consider when running the business. So you don't miss big chunks. And I, I think they're not aimed at bigger firms not in small part because um, if you've gotten to be a bigger firm, you have an operating system. It may not be called uh, EOS or, or uh, OKR, but but you have something at that point or you wouldn't be successfully big. Um, and, you know, I think when I think about the value of operating systems, I'm kind of a mad scientist. When I went through school, I, was, I wanted to take all the economics and marketing and, and operational theory classes on top of my my uh, engineering classes, because uh, that stuff was just 
fascinating to me and I'm always looking at uh, different ways to kind of accomplish things and reading a lot of books. And, you know, one of them that kind of talks to this is the score takes care of itself, which is a book about the San Francisco 49ers and um, Bill Walsh and, and essentially Bill Walsh instituted an operating system in the Niners and they focused on that, not the score. And it's very similar. These operating systems focus on how you run a business and success kind of comes out of that. So could you um, walk us through, like just pretend um, 50 person firm um, or anyway, I mean, within the range, a firm comes and says, oh my goodness, what, what, what is typically the situation of the firm? And then they sort of say, okay, we want to embrace something like, like an EOS. Can you just share maybe what, what conditions move someone to, maybe I should consider this and then what that process looks like to sort of get them aligned within a type of business operating system. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, so just for context, I'll say I implemented EOS at the management level in my company, uh, Wendell, when I was CEO. And um, that was about 300 people. So it really kind of didn't fit the mold exactly. And I was one type of person who would implement the system who kind of got exposed to it and said, oh, I'm, I, it's interesting. I overlaid it on my current operating system and saw gaps. And so that was my motivation for doing it. Most people, their motivation is uh, they are suffering some kind of pain. They're, they've hit some kind of ceiling. Their results aren't what they want or expect. Uh, some kind of uh, very significant painful driver like that is causing them to pick their head up and look around for a different way to do things. Um, you know, EOS prior to having its current uh, franchise system for referrals and stuff was almost all word of mouth referral where somebody would say, oh, you're, you're suffering. I was there and here's how I got out. Uh, I implemented EOS. So well, um, when you say, when you say suffering, is it we're chronically low profitability. We're losing market share over here. Our partners are in disarray. I, you know, I, I mean, can you give a little color to maybe specific some of these problems? Yeah, those are great examples, by the way. It's all of that, right? Uh, um, it can be like we're trying to grow and we're failing. We're just, we're not able to get past 20 people or 30 people um, or, uh, you know, the partnership model is kind of, um uh, starting to be painful for us. The four people in a room trying to make decisions and get consensus is, is not only not working, but it's not fun. Um, we're having, you know, staff retention issues because we're, we're not great at executing our work. You know, a, a lot of our folks, as much as we talk about compensation, a lot of our folks want to come in and be productive. That's what rewards them is the, uh, achieving results. And if the system is working against them, um, then uh, you know that's that's going to be a retention issue motivator. Uh, so you know all those things I think come to play. Profitability for sure, but um, I think sometimes big people get complacent in, with low com profitability if they're not suffering some other pain along with it. Right. So, okay. So those are the conditions that come. So, so they want it. What, what does that say? I want to start implementing a system. I mean, can you walk us through like what changes happen? Like what, what does the process look like over what time frame? Yes. Um, so it's a little bit faster than you might think, at least kind of getting out of the, out of the gates. Um, <clears throat> the, um, the U S process, for example, is very straightforward and simple. It starts with the, uh, 90 minute meeting that is essentially uh, get to know you, um, tell you what the EOS system is, what to expect with implementation. And this is some type of facilitator who's conducting this 90 minute meeting. Correct. Yeah. Okay. To the, in EOS, they call them an implementer, uh, but the facilitator is a great word because there are a lot of parallels to implementing EOS and uh, doing a strategic plan. Um, and so the, the facilitator implementer, basically your, your guide for the process, and you can, by the way, implement without 
uh, a facilitator. I did it in, in my previous company. Although I also wrote a blog that said, don't do that because it slows you down and it changes the politics and all that. So, um, but it can be done without a facilitator. With a facilitator, they'll they'll take you through that meeting. And it's really at the end of that meeting, the idea is that we have buy-in. Um, we are going to move forward with, you know, implementing this system and it launches you into or sets the stage for the the first of three meetings that are part of the standard process, which is called the focus day. And um, so one of the things I really love about the operating system and the OS is I'm, I had a lot of strategic planning experience in my career. And I, I really like that strategic planning um, aspect and element where it left me flat was on implementing and getting results. I've always been really folk results oriented, uh, action oriented person. Uh, so getting a strategic plan in and of itself as a goal was, wasn't good enough for me. And EOS is kind of like uh, part strategic plan, part make the strategic plan happen. And the first thing you do after the 90 minute meeting is a focus day. Uh, the focus day is about the tools of EOS really, um, you know, process mapping, meetings, uh, issue processing, people and accountability, scorecard and how to break goals into rocks or uh, smaller goals that can be achieved in 90 days. Uh, so that's the focus day. And um, if you have the focus day and you want to continue, then you would schedule maybe 30 to 60 days later a vision day one. Uh, EOS typically is two vision days. Um, you can do them together. You can do them apart. Uh, with smaller firms, I found you can do it in one day instead of two days, but it's like that's like strategic planning for, um, you know, standard companies. If you're doing a small company, you could probably strategic plan in a day. If you're doing a bigger company, it's going to take two just by the number of inputs. But uh, and the vision days one and two are very much like traditional strategic planning. You got SWOT, you got mission, you got vision, you got values, and you got your basic strategy. Um, at the end of those three days you uh, essentially are now launched and using EOS uh, and using the tools there, there forward. The next aspect of EOS is a quarterly check-in and an annual refresh of the visions. Uh, so it's kind of like having an annual strategic plan refresh. Uh, and then quarterly, you're making sure that you're staying on track with the operational aspects of it. Great. Well, thanks for mapping out that. I, I'm curious at some of these, I guess maybe they're the tools or their tactical ways. I, could you, I mean, you mentioned rattled off a, a few things, which I think are just are interesting just to even say, okay, there is a process to talk through these things because it's like, there's an issue. What's the process to deal with issues? What's the process of, you know, people accountability. That's like a big thing. I, we're not accountable. We we're allergic to accountability. We don't really address <laughs> issues around here. Um, we're horrible at goal setting. And I know you mentioned the rocks and the goals. I, could you dig into not the answer the question, but because obviously it's, it's the mechanics are easy, right? It's the, it's the magic of how to get that happen that, you know, sort of gets us to where we are, but, but just even the mechanics, like what, how, what is the process to deal with issues, the process of getting people to, to have accountability and then the process of maybe goal setting that's part of like an EOS type system. Yeah. And that's a super thing to dig into because that's really where a lot of the magic lies so um, the EOS system for issue processing uh, is identify, discuss, solve, or IDS, uh, that they call it. Um, and it's not, you know, there's a lot of ways to do issue processing. And in Vistage, we used to use a very similar process where you'd <clears throat> state the question and you'd have clarifying questions, you refine it, and then, then you get into solution. So what happens so often, and I'm sure you've seen this, and, and I lived it, uh, most people in our business did live it is you, you bring issues up in meetings, you talk about them, that issue leads you to another issue and you start to talk about that. So you're off on tangent one. By the time you're you're done talking, 
you've actually talked about four issues and solved nothing, right? So this and adds- And we're exhausted. And you're exhausted, <laughs> mentally exhausted because you're so frustrated with no progress. Uh, so, and, and all companies have issues. Even the, the best of companies have, have issues and they're just really good at identifying it and knocking them down one at a time, highest priority to lowest priority. So in, in EOS, you, you identify your issues, you have a, a log of them, you, you pick your top priority one and you process and you don't leave that one. Um, if you touch on another issue, it goes on the list, right? And you don't leave that one until you've adequately discussed it and have some solution. Um, EOS doesn't get into it, but I found you can easily, easily leverage um, you know, root cause analysis in there, whether it's Ishikawa and Fishbone or whether it's uh, Five Wise, you, can, you yeah. can use those things in there to help you get to solution. And then solution accountability that someone owns every, every solution or goal or rock uh, has an owner and they are accountable for it. Even if there's a whole team of people who have to do it, that, that single owner is the accountable person for making sure that it happens. Uh, and in the system in the meetings provides a lot of visibility into whether those solutions are staying on track or not. And uh, is so that, that the sort of, okay. I was going to say that's issue processing, um, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, goal setting, very similar, you break bigger goals into smaller, you know, goals that you need to achieve to get to the bigger goal. And then try to live in a 90 day window where, um, you know, pick, break that goal down into something that can be accomplished in 90 days so that you know that you don't get, you know, two thirds through the year and you haven't made any progress. You, you know, if you're off track at the, you know, in 90 days uh, or sooner because you're watching that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And quarterly, yeah, that quarterly process is, is the difference maker in so many different circumstances. Can you touch a little bit on accountability is maybe the accountability because someone owns an issue or someone owns a goal, it's just very clear. I mean, is there any more color to share on accountability? There is, and I'm glad you, you teased that out of me. Um, so um, accountability in the context of US starts with the what they call the accountability chart. And they're big on saying it's not an org chart, it's an accountability chart. To me, okay, that's- Yeah, uh, it's like accountability authority chart maybe is a little, they're similar but distinctive for different reasons. Yeah. That this yeah. is your role, but your function is this, and it's got, got some authority and responsibility associated with it. Exactly. It's a little bit further than just an org chart, which just has a name and a title, right? It's it's uh, in the accountability chart, there are you know five to seven bullets of the key things that that person in that role is responsible for. One of those things is commonly lead, manage, and hold accountable everyone who reports to them. Um, again, I'm, I'm fond of like when I'm showing people or doing a talk on this operating system and the accountability chart, I like to show the org chart that our architectural department, 100 person architectural department had, which was a big circle. And you, there was no way you could look at that and have any sense of who was responsible for what and who was accountable to who. Uh, and as much as that makes us uncomfortable sometimes in the design world, it's a must if you wanna get things done. So this accountability chart is kind of the start of accountability. Uh, transparency, is a big piece of it uh, because you're you're having this uh, meeting rhythm where you're meeting as a management team once a week, and you're you're viewing the status of all these um, uh, goals that are committed to. That's another aspect of accountability. It's it kind of it's nice in engineering and architecture and construction worlds too because it we can be conflict avoiding. And transparency is a good way to drive accountability without conflict sometimes. It's like, yeah, every week you, you report that you're off track. After three weeks of that, everybody knows it's uncomfortable. Right? <laughs> and, and if you are going to be motivated to do that thing, you're going to do it. And if you're not, then, then it becomes an issue and we're going to take it up a notch. Um, so the accountability chart kind of starts it and that transparency aspect, um, you know, kind of uh, gets you the rest of the way when it comes to improving accountability. And you, thank you. Um, could you walk us through what a level 10 meeting is <laughs> and, wh and wh where they are and what they look like? 
Yeah, so a level 10 meeting is uh, is their language for essentially uh, a highly productive meeting. So the the goal of every meeting should be that it's it's you know happening for a good reason and it's very productive and level 10 comes from the fact that in EOS you score your meeting at the end uh, 10 being the, the best it could be and one being the worst it could be so the objective obviously is to have a level 10 meeting a meeting where everybody scores at a 10 um you know i i had a little bit of a tough time candidly scoring meetings initially when i self-implemented um but what i learned is it's actually a good feedback mechanism so when you score the meeting at the end um somebody scores at an eight you can get a why you know what about this meeting didn't work for you and you have, it gives you a chance to improve the meeting for the next time uh but in our typical level 10 management meeting you know the agenda is uh, pretty straightforward it starts with a segue and then you you do um essentially what do you mean by a segue oh a segue is a check-in uh, okay. you share some good news kind of get everybody kind of engaged in the meeting and and um and then uh, the next thing is, is you kind of check status on you check your scorecard you check your uh rock status and your to-do status and this is where a lot of meetings fall down even if you're implementing eos when i see someone who's implementing eos and they're struggling with it it's because they're messing up this part of the level 10 and they're allowing people to take tangents so same painful issue tangents that i was talking about earlier they often happen here well you know uh my quarterly rock was to investigate eos uh, or uh, uh, erp systems uh, options you know at the end of the quarter uh, it's off track and immediately somebody wants to explain to you why it's off track and uh the person running the meeting has to stop that no, i just need to know on track off track that's all i need to know right now if it's off track we can drop it down into an issue and talk about it later if it's a priority and that's the big if right so you might have just avoided a big tangent that wasn't the highest priority issue that needed to get tackled um so when you do that with all those things and even to do's either they're done or they're not if they're not done is it an issue yes we'll drop it down to issues if not it'll get done next week or we'll report on it again next week um and then after that in the level 10 meeting the then you get into issue processing and the bulk of the meeting is spent processing issues so doing productive work and how novel is that idea that you know we're in a meeting doing productive work uh, then you you uh after you've kind of exhausted your time to process issues and before you close the meeting out you just check to see if there are any cascading messages that need to come out of that meeting into the rest of the organization and uh, assign responsibility to do that so how frequently so there is a communication thought after each meeting what are we going to do with what we talked about how frequently are level 10 meetings at sort of that management level and how long do they take uh, good question so uh weekly meetings are what the system prescribes and it's also what i uh, have done in my own experience and uh they were 90 minute meetings um <clears throat> that was our our rule uh so and 90 as, minutes every week as a management team working through the business of the business exactly yeah and you know they say they uh say tongue-in-cheek only a little bit that there's two reasons to miss a level 10 meeting it's your vacation uh or death and by death they mean your death uh so otherwise you're going to be there right it's that's how important they are um so that that, that importance is there who's in the room like who gets invited to these very important meetings like what, what what's the the scope of the attendees right and that, that is you know organizationally uh different in general it's um in eos language it's the integrator the visionary and then the major function leads which could be business development uh operations finance accounting hr you know whatever your major function leads are i was a bigger company so i had a few more roles in there um but uh that's the management team is a pretty tight group with those big responsibilities if you're a smaller company it's you know it could be you know four people right and in the larger companies maybe 10 
Yeah, I think 10 would be the outside or the max that you might want to see in that meeting. And just because you meant it's probably super intuitive, but a visionary versus an integrator. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's EOS language. And I think most people think of CEO and president or CEO and COO, you know, visionaries, because you're talking about entrepreneurial companies in the EOS system. Uh, the person who begins an entrepreneurial company is often a visionary type, an idea person, maybe a little less detailed focused, a little more big picture focused. Um, the integrator is the decision maker, the the one that makes things happen in the organization. The day-to-day -day um, person. Yeah. So in typical organizational language, CEO, COO, um, kind of your visionary integrator. What if someone doesn't perform? Like I, I wanted to ask you about like the hurdles, the resistors, like what happens if, hey, we, you forced us to go through this, Stu, we did it, I did it out of, you know, obligation, but, you know, there's, there's seven of us, five are all in, two are, I'd rather be somewhere else, maybe they're breaking the, 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 the commitment. What, what are some of the hurdles, resistance, either going in, or how do you deal with that if they come up and one or two players just aren't playing ball? Like what, what how, how do you think about that in the, in the idea of a, an operating system? Yeah. I mean, that's very real and very common uh, that, that somebody, uh, and one of the things they do with the accountability chart to help you kind of flesh that out <clears throat> is um, to do it right. you, you build the accountability chart without names. So you define the roles you want and you define the responsibilities of the role before you even talk about people. And then you, you think about the person's persona, the right skills, the right mindset that fits the role and look for them in the organization, not necessarily who holds a similar role to when you go into it. In practice, people struggle with that. They almost kind of can't help putting names in the box, but if you go through that exercise, it it can be an early warning system that you're gonna have someone who doesn't fit quite right, uh, isn't maybe gonna meet expectations. And then I think one of the things the OS does kind of push is um, this transparency and encourage. Um, there's another thing, a people analyzer that's part of the system that <clears throat> where you identify your values and then, uh, gets it, wants it, and can do it, which is a bit of a stole, uh, borrow, I'll say, from Patrick Lencioni's The Advantage. Um, you know, every person in a role has to get it. Uh, and in other words, have the emotional intelligence that they have, to, they have to want to do it. And, you know, they have to actually be capable of doing it. Um, so they espouse, EOS espouses analyzing people, you know, at the management team level while they're in the room. Do I think you get, want, and can do this role? And I actually just went through this exercise with a team, uh, and it can be uncomfortable. Uh, but uncomfortable conversations are sometimes what it takes to get over that hurdle and to get to a productive place where a person's in the right seat on the bus. Beyond that, I think as you're uh, dealing with people, I mean, most companies, whether they're using an operating system or not, should have should have some process for dealing with um, non-performance, whether it's three strikes or, you know, a progressive uh, discipline. I don't necessarily love that term, but um, where you can deal with a person who's not aligning to expectations of the job. And you just have to be really kind of courageous of, of executing that. And this is, again, another place where a facilitator can help you because sometimes it can say what you're thinking um, but can't get out of your mouth, you know, <laughs> and, and help you kind of be more decisive about dealing with those people that don't, um, aren't in the right seat or maybe even on the right bus. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that. And that kind of segues into, I don't know if that's a positive thing though, but, but it talks about, I, I know, you know, there's firms that maybe for all the reasons you stated, they get stuck, they're not growing, things have happened and proactively they want to get into the operating system. But there's also, we're just dysfunctional. Like we've got a, a few partners that don't get along. We have a founder that is incredible, but everything is in her head or his head. And we need to start getting the brilliance out of your head on paper because 
that succession is the value of the firm. And so just get you get your process on paper so we can all participate or we really have a break. We've got six partners, four are on the same page or three are on this and, and two are on that. And we need a process to sort of ferret out those do you want to be on the bus? This is the direction the bus is going. Let's find our seats and sort of almost a forcing function to get more functional. Can you speak a little bit about that? Like that using something like this to objectively move the business forward, deal with sort of principal issues, get things out of founders' heads. I mean, willingly. Um, just can you talk about any experience or thoughts you have on using a tool to help accomplish those goals? Yeah. Um, so I, I've what I've seen is IDS has brought those IDS being the the issue process. Yeah, exactly. Identify, discuss, solve. So issue processing. When you're in a management team meeting, those issues I've found have come up early and often um, because a lot of firms have those uh, legacy issues or, or partners not not behaving um and you know so so they get tabled and they tend to be higher priority issues as well uh so and and actually this is one of the benefits of the system because you're prioritizing issues it might be something that's uncomfortable so you don't talk about it in an in a meeting where you're not prioritizing issues you talk about the issues that you think you can solve not the maybe most important issues to solve uh so i've seen them come up uh you know, and when you get into solving those issues, you know, what, what are the best solutions? That's where the, you know, kind of the, the magic happens in, in terms of, uh, so having the system and having a facilitator can give you the courage to face them, but then you actually have to do the work. Um, and so, you know, again, that transparency, it's there, you can't ignore it. You have to deal with it, but when you get into dealing with it, um, you know, it's like a, a lot of personnel issues. It requires um, investment and energy. You've got to, you've got to table it. You got to talk, and you've got to get to common ground about what the expectations are, what's needed from the person. I've seen them; those conversations uh, go very well, where the um, person who was the focus of the discussion kind of said, oh, well, those are the expectations. I'll I'll play along with that. Thank you for being clear and defining them for me. Now I, I know how to do that. I've also seen it where they've been completely unwilling. And then so you, you start the, the divorce proceedings, really. Um, and, you know, when it comes to sometimes true partners, uh, untangling that is not an overnight process right it takes time to get through it and oftentimes you need somebody with that specific expertise um and helping people negotiate uh those types of changes and transitions to to be involved to help you get to a productive one mm -hmm. and, and i and, and i i mean i self clarity and self-awareness can solve and advance issues right solve issues advance the firm but unwillingness never resolves itself, right? Yeah. I mean, so it's almost like, are you going to start to resolve it now? Or are you going to wait another three years? When will you? Because a lot of these things don't solve themselves. And so, and if there, I mean, I, if there's an issue, it hurts for all parties. Like there's nobody, you know, not, not everyone wins if there's an issue. In fact, almost everyone's losing. And so the quicker you can resolve it, all parties eventually win, even if there's just some tough, awkward times, if it's all done sort of in in, in good kind of work-related, you know, love and compassion and high levels of emotional intelligence. And we're trying to work for the firm and the employees and the stakeholders. It's not just about us. We're the stewards. And I mean, there's a different ways to think about it. And that we just, it's, it's about being on the, the bus and being in the right seats. And we have to have that humility. If it's all talked about in that, there can actually be winners all win, even if there's adjustments made. Absolutely. I couldn't couldn't agree with you more on that. And and you know, when somebody's not in the right seat or people are frustrated with each other, as much as you may think that isn't obvious to the entire organization, it is an incredible demotivator all the way up and down the line when they see that misalignment or 
lack of satisfaction from senior people in the organization. So there, there isn't, and I also completely agree that there's a right way to do it. And the right way to do it means nobody gets blindsided, that there's, uh, you know, dialogue that happens and, and an attempt to align um, expectations. And, and then if you can't, then, you know, there's a graceful way to transition. And I do agree to my experience, even when it's a, the, a firing all at the end of the day, if you've gone through the process and it's just not going to happen and the person won't uh, willingly make a, a step, I found those people end up in better places. They end up in a place where their value system aligns better or their skill set aligns better. And, and like you say, everyone really wins. Right. Well, I mean, whether it's a business operating system or just operating your business better, um, there's sort of less management stress if we can operate at a higher, better level. I'm just curious that, you know, stress, burnout um, in the industry leadership level, um, what what do you see? What's the temperature in your sort of zone of, of, of sight and influence? What do you think like AEC principals, leaders, executive, what, what's the the pulse right now as far as work stress um, yeah. or worse? Yeah, I think stress is probably at an all-time high in uh, in our business. And in particular with leaders, um, you think about a little bit, the Gen Xs are kind of coming into their leadership prime. Uh, it's a small generation between the boomers that are exiting and the millennials that are stepping in. Uh, just the numbers game puts a lot of pressure on those folks. But when you add technology, uh, social uh, issues, uh, the supply and demand of work and workers. Uh, it, it's an incredibly stressful time uh, in leadership. And you see people wearing that. Um, I, I mentioned earlier, I said my CEO situation, I wasn't burned out. I wouldn't go there. But, um, you know, I, I implemented EOS uh, ran it for about two years and saw a significant increase in our our EOS score. Um, but probably the biggest benefit I registered in that period, same period, was a reduction in my stress. As role clarity became higher and issues got dealt with at the right level and less of them wandered into my office um, un unnecessarily, uh, and people were happier because they had more clarity about what they were doing and what a good result was all that translated into less stress for me and my team i would say uh but i do think there's there's a lot of stress and i see people combating that in different ways um some leave the business some um really narrow their focus uh and kind of tune out everything they don't want to hear um and uh i think there's a balance in there somewhere where you're you're hearing what you need to, but you're not overreacting to it on a daily basis. Um, like think about AI and the and the challenge that that challenge and opportunity. You know, oftentimes with challenge comes opportunity, and both of those things exist there with AI. Um, but if you let fear dominate your thinking, uh, that's really going to stress you out. Um, so <clears throat> you got to kind of put it in its proper place and. And uh, you kind of keep your awareness up and then, you know, know when the proper time to act is. I, I think I think of uh, that kind of thing a little bit as like surfing. <clears throat> if you're too far ahead of it, the wave will crush you into nothingness. Uh, if you're too far behind it, you end up sitting still as everybody you know, goes to the beach. Uh, so it's, you got to find that sweet spot. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank thank you for sharing that. And that, that, that's the kind of the last topic I wanted to kind of talk to you about um, as we kind of look to wrap up here. I mean, as it relates to technology, that is something we are at a crossroads and it can be and is set to be extremely transformative. There's a lot of different studies out there that, you know, a high percentage, 30, 40 percent of tasks you know, um, could be sort of automated in, in engineering architecture, 90% of employment positions will be augmented with artificial intelligence, obviously a lot figuring out we got to catch that wave right the right level. Um, and leaders are thinking about that now, just kind of going back to the, the production, the process, identifying processes, obviously, there's a lot in our processes that maybe 
<clears throat> when we understand our processes, we might be able to figure out how to automate before we get automated, right? Um, there should be there could be data in there that wow, maybe we could harness this data, and eventually that could be IP. We could machine learn that data, and wow. It, so, how do you you think about AI? How do you think about maybe going? We talked about this twenty five years ago. Maybe let's bring that back because maybe this is our way to harness data and actually you know disrupt ourselves before we get disrupted. How do you think about kind of that piece like process, automation, data, AI? Yeah, there is a little bit of deja vu in there, isn't there? Um, yeah, I, I do think it's it's a great opportunity. Um, and I think that, um, <clears throat> you know, there's just no, it's not like you're, you're, you can ignore it and continue, you know, drafting on a board with Mylar, right? Um, you know, you have to kind of appreciate that it's there. Uh, I do see a big opportunity in those that embrace it for the benefit it can provide, but, you know, kind of also are aware of the fact that you can go, you know, completely down the rabbit hole too soon. You know, uh, think about, uh, as Gretzky said, don't skate to where the puck is skate to where it's going to be but don't skate to past it either right you mm -hmm. know it's like it's timing really matters in business as well as sports so i love those almost like be the settler not the pioneer but understand yeah. where the pioneers are going let's type that. exactly exactly so you know the timing is everything so you you want to keep your your uh, finger on the pulse there and you know they're going to be some brave people that are going to blaze the trail a little bit, um, watch what they do, see what works and what doesn't and embrace what does work. I, I think a little bit about BIM and, and which has been around a long time now, and it still hasn't realized in my opinion, it's, it's full potential in our business because the business model didn't adapt with the technology. At least it hasn't yet. Um, where, uh, the way, the way designers contract and for what value of the overall project is, is still kind of based around this creating this communication piece, which is really a 2D communication piece mostly that goes to allow somebody to bid and build the project, right? And um, because of that business model, uh, it hasn't realized all the potential to design something buildable, uh, you know, at the design table, right? Um, and so I even have a client that that basically they're their role in the market is to take the models that the AEs produce and make them buildable for contractors to build. Um, you know, and there's, there's a gap there that the business model. So I think it's likely that um, as we're watching AI unfold, that the business model will lag a little bit there too. And we'll have to figure out how to, how to leverage it the best we can and still remain a viable business. Um, Good news is there's a lot of time savings wrapped up in some of this technology that at least in the initial wave of BIM wasn't so much there. Um, and, uh, and I think those time savings will help right. AE kind of embrace it. And that's a good point with the, with the law and the, and the, and the, and the, the legalities need to catch up because I know in private settings, I mean, digital twins are being used for design and for collaboration and for construction, but it's in private contracted world, not necessarily public bidding and all of that. So, well, thank exactly. you for, for all of this. I mean, how, as we do close, I mean, anything else that we've talked about or haven't talked about that you'd like to share or add that, you know, really as sort of inspiration to, you know, or advice to help, you know, AEC leaders have greater business success, you know, strategically or operationally. Yeah, I, I would say, and I'm sure you observe this regularly, that um, when I talk to firm owners, <clears throat> um, most all of them have some level of awareness that there's stuff that needs to be better in their organization. And they have different aversions uh, to actually making it happen. And uh, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to somebody and said, yeah, I, I know I, I've got to take that step. And they just don't take that step. Another year goes by. My big observation is, um, you know, you need to act. I like Michael Jordan talked about he succeeded because he failed, you know, how many missed shots he made and stuff like that. You know, don't, don't fail big, but don't be afraid to fail. I think he, my advice to 
you know, any business owner is don't just continue to kick the can down the road, act, do something, whatever that may be. Awesome. Thank you for that. And wholeheartedly agree. Action is imperfect action is better than no action. And there's a major cost, in fact, a bigger cost sometimes to inaction than it is by taking the wrong action or an imperfect action anyway. I really want to be wrong, but we can be imperfect. How can um, how can listeners get in touch with you to learn more about you, uh, what you're doing, AEC Ops? Um, yeah. Um, so my website is aec-ops or aecops.com. Uh, website's a good place to kind of get a, a big overview. I'm active on LinkedIn, so you can certainly find me uh, on LinkedIn. Um, and if you want to contact me, the best way is email at uh, stu, S-T-U, at aec-ops.com. Excellent. And I'll make sure all of those links are in the show notes. Uh, Stu, thank you for coming. Thank you for sharing your insights. Um, I love our conversations and uh, look forward to connecting again with you next time. Thanks. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed it. Take care. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please also share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to continue to get us established, and I truly appreciate that. And it also helps to get the word out to others so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others both inside and beyond our organizations. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.